Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. Today is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. I recognize that some of us are not feeling glad this morning. I get that. Um, But God is yet God. And God is yet sovereign. And God is yet holy. Uh, God is in control, even if it feels right now in this moment as if something in your life is completely out of control or you are completely out of control, um, our perception of reality is sometimes not aligned with reality itself. And I was reminded of that um, as I as I watched my own Twitter feed and there were, uh, you know, there's news of earthquakes in Northern California and Japan. Now, none of these are um, are the quote unquote big one, but they always uh, shake, literally shake people up. And they also figuratively shake people up. Um, there are no tsunamis related to this. And so you say, well, pff, why are you talking about something that is really, you know, non-news, uh, something normal? Well, because that which we have come to accept as normal um, is still deeply anxiety producing. And and it's not normal in the original sense of the word. And I think we have to remember that. I think we have to remember that what we have come to accept as normal this far from the Garden of Eden, this many generations into our uh, our cycle of sin, um, we have to remember that that which we have come to accept as normal is absolutely abnormal in terms of God's design and God's desire. And so just because somebody repeats something over and over again does not mean that it is normal if, in fact, it is abnormal to begin with. And so just because I become used to or accustomed to or friends with a particular sin does not mean that that sin and that way of living is the way God wants it. It's not the normal that God created in terms of the good. And Scripture uses some the language of exchange um, for this in terms of what happens to us when we come to accept as normal that which is, in fact, not normal. And so when we use the term natural, are we talking about that which God designed or are we talking about that which has become over the course of time natural to us? It, it which means that really sin has become natural to us. Well, sin is not originally God's design for us. It is not the first normal. We have normalized it by not only repeating it but adding to it, um, you know, just through myriad layers and ways. So I just want us to be mindful this morning of the way Paul describes it in the opening chapter of his letter to the Christians in Rome. So we know this is Romans 1, and I would pick up at verse 19 if you want to look at this with me. Um, we're talking here about God's plan and what God has made plain 
not only through creation, but now through the scriptures. So we have the general revelation of creation um, through which God reveals himself sufficiently that we are without excuse if we deny his reality and his design. So that's really what Paul's talking about. We have exchanged what we know about God, what God has made plain. That's what he says in verse 19. Um, what God has shown to them, uh, his invisible attributes, namely, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world uh, in all of that which he has made. So we're without excuse, Paul says, because for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him as God, but became futile in their thinking, which means that they exchanged uh, the way they should be thinking about things for a sinful way of thinking about things. And their foolish hearts were darkened, which means we actually just fell in love with our own sin. Claiming to be wise, which obviously is just foolish, they became fools and exchanged, there's the word, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what we're talking about here is exchanging the truth about God for lies, exchanging that which God designed for that which we have adapted ourselves to. We have normalized sin, and we have normalized the acceptance of sin, not only in our lives through rationalization, but deluding ourselves into thinking that sin is just the way it is. This is just normal. We're going to talk today about the, the fact that that is not normal. And so first up, we're going to talk about what is going on in Syria. And in order to engage this particular topic, um, I'm going to have Mindy Belts here. If you're not familiar with Mindy, she writes for World Magazine. She's an award-winning journalist. She has sources on the ground in Syria, and so we are going to get um, we're going to get a firsthand look at what is happening in Syria today. Mindy Belts up next from World Magazine. Joining me now, Mindy Belts from World Magazine. Uh, Mindy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I would, I would really appreciate if you would just give us, um, first of all, your initial uh, impressions this morning of where we are in terms of um, what has become a very hot zone in northeastern Syria. Yes. Each morning since this began uh, last week, we wake up and find a really deteriorating situation. Um, we saw yesterday things take an even more um, bad turn, I would say. We saw some footage of uh, some of the Turkey-backed militias attacking Kurds. It looked like war crimes attacking civilians. Um and, and and shooting Kurdish soldiers at close range, that kind of thing. Um, we're seeing the numbers, we're just watching the numbers go up of the people who are fleeing this region. I was in this region uh, earlier this year, Carmen, and, you know, it's just heartbreaking to watch this because this was an area of Syria that had such a positive future that really had reached a level of stability. People were returning they were trying to rebuild their communities. Schools were open again. A lot of peace had been reached among groups that had been in conflict with each other. And now what we're seeing is those same people are being forced from their homes um, into other parts of Syria that are that are not at peace. And, and these communities are once again 
under siege and on the run. Again, I'm talking with Mindy Belt. She's senior editor of World Magazine. She's also the author of They Say We Are Infidels. You can follow her on Twitter at MC Bells. Um, Mindy, I've got a, uh, I've got one of your pieces up here um, at the World Magazine website. And um, you talk about how this safe zone um, where where Christians are among a really, uh, you know, frankly, diverse group of people who inhabit this particular um, part of northeastern Syria, you know, has become basically a death zone. Um, What makes this patch of of ground so unique in, in the Middle East? Well, geographically, it's a it's a piece of land that actually comes up to a, a literal point between Turkey and Iraq. And you can have traveled through this area many times and you go from Iraq into Turkey and, and into Syria at one time very easily. And there are a number of towns that actually, you know, straddle uh, Turkey and Syria. This area is where in, in Syria was created actually as a U.N. safe zone following the genocide that began in 1915. And so you had a number of Assyrian-Armenian families forced out of Turkey during that genocide into northeastern Syria, and the UN actually commissioned and gave them communities. They have the same names. You'll find some of the same names of cities on the Turkish side of the border and, and then inside Syria. It's become an area also populated mostly by Kurds with these strong strongly held Christian communities that date back to the first century after Christ, and um, and then a number of Arab tribes among them as well. And what we saw happen as this incredibly devastating war in Syria continued year after year after year is the Kurdish militias, the Christian Syriac militias, and some of the Arab militias formed together under the Syrian Democratic Uh, Syrian Defense Forces, the SDF that we're hearing about now. This is who Turkey is attacking. They're they're attacking the people who represent really the best hope for Syria because they have forged this ability to live and work alongside one another in this, um, you know, war terrain for years now. So I think that the geography is... Um, as a helpful conversation, you know, we have we have listeners who would, you know, you'd recognize uh, a border city like Detroit, where people pass uh, across, you know, they they, they pass from Canada um, into Detroit to work every single day. We think of certainly on the southern border cities like El Paso. Um, we're, we're talking about communities that really have existed on both sides of a border that is um, that that is drawn by, you know, people who draw maps at the end of wars. Um, you also used uh, the term Armenian and, re- and referred to a, a that genocide. I think when we come back, let's give people a little bit of historical perspective about this region. I'm talking with Mindy Belts, senior editor of World Magazine, the author of They Say We Are Infidels. Uh, we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Mindy Bells from World Magazine. Um, Mindy, let's talk a little bit about the history of the region, and then I want, um, I'd want i love for you to share with us about you know, sort of the status of refugee populations and internally displaced people in the region. But let's, let's remember, you used the term Armenian. Um, let's, let's remember, for, help people remember what we're talking about when we are talking about this region and genocide in this region in the past. 
Uh, a century ago, the, the Ottoman Empire, as it was crumbling, began to commit this genocide against uh, was Armenian, but also Assyrian believers. They were Christians, and, and they all lived um, in the southeastern part of Turkey. Um, those communities were raided. They were cleared. People were slaughtered. And, um, I mean, three and a half million people killed, and among them a significant number of, um, of both Assyrian and Armenian believers. Many of them I've talked to a number of these families because they are the families that the survivors, um, they went from Turkey to Iran to Russia. They came back maybe to Iran and to Iraq. And then ultimately, many of them settled from Aleppo in Syria all the way up into this northeastern region. You will find, um, you know, beautiful Armenian churches in Aleppo and beautiful communities of believers that, that extend up into this region. They feel a fierce commitment, Carmen, to, to remaining here. They have seen civil war. Um, they've seen a lot of instability. They've seen attacks. And in 2015, ISIS came in and drove through this area and cleared out a number of these communities. And if you remember, they kidnapped 300 Assyrian Christians. Those people were held for most of the year. They ultimately, some of them were freed, the elderly among them were freed, but the rest of them had to be ransomed. Um, and that's an amazing story of how that all happened. Um, I was there earlier and just saw how these people had come back. These are the grandchildren of survivors of the Armenian genocide a century ago. And now they're seeing something almost the same happen again, um, being forced out, being targeted. We saw as the shelling began in Turkey that it quickly targeted the uh, Christian neighborhood, the Christian quarter, uh, hit one church and several houses in the Christian quarter of Kamishli, one of the largest towns in the region. Um, this is like history repeating itself. Well, and if people want to really understand what's happening, um, your book, They Say We Are Infidels, is a, a, a really just a, I mean, I'll use the word splainer, right? It's a wonderful, um, very vivid firsthand mm -hmm. account of what is happening um, to Christians in this region. So thank you for that larger work as well as what you do every day at World Magazine. Talk with us about um, these internally displaced people uh, and refugees, because that is a huge part, seemingly a, a huge part of what Erdogan's plan is in getting rid of the refugees who have made their way into Turkey during this very extended Syrian civil war, even though the people that he wants to now push into this, uh, this region are not from this region originally. So talk with us a little bit about this people movement that is taking place. That's right. Erdogan um, has, uh, Turkey has been uh, the home of about 3 million refugees, mostly from the Syrian civil war, that this war has emptied out the country. It's halved its population. So we've had 10 to 11 million people from Syria living across their borders in Iraq and Turkey and elsewhere. And Erdogan has uh, grown tired of this and has, I mean, he was very specific about it when he was in New York at the UN General Assembly in September, said he wanted to create a safe zone across northern Syria where he could return these refugees to that region. But clearly 
this is uh, this is a genocide by another name because what what he's trying to do is clear out these uh, Christian communities, Kurdish communities that you and I've been talking about, and move in. Arab refugees, if, if in fact that's what he did. We know this because we've watched this happen in the northwestern part of the country in early 2018. Turkey moved in within 40 miles inside of Syria and created a, a quote-unquote safe zone there. And what they did was they displaced 167,000 Syrian Kurds, Yazidis, and Christians. And those people have never been able to go back to their homes. And, and I've interviewed a number of them. They, if they've gotten close, they've seen that there are uh, Arab militias occupying their homes and their towns. And so this is the plan. And, and somehow our president, uh, the Trump administration has been, I, I believe, hoodwinked into thinking that Erdogan has a legitimate interest here, that he, that he truly does not. That is, and that is going to lead to displacement and potentially another genocide. Uh, we have seen 167,000 people, or I'm sorry, 160,000 people displaced already. That's in under a week's time. And we risk seeing another refugee crisis when we are still dealing with uh, one that has already come out of this war. You know, the word, the word saturation um, comes to mind when I think about where these people are going to go. Um, you know, at some point, their neighbors, you know, there's just no more room. Like, and, and yet we here in the United States have become, um, at least by policy, unwelcoming of, of refugees internationally. And so I just, you know, Mindy, I'm just one of those people that's just holding out hope that there's going to be a change of heart um, toward refugees here in the United States and um, in other places around the world where there is, you know, space to, to give welcome. Right. Well, the immediate problem is where do they go? I talked to one of the um, very, very few aid groups that's there uh, yesterday, and their key person had been pinned down inside a wedding chapel outside of the town of Hasaka uh, trying to get uh, deliveries of supplies. We're talking basic supplies, bed mats and blankets to some of these people who have had to leave their, their cities and towns. And, and we've created a situation where, um, as you say, because this has gone on so long, these other countries will not accept these people. And really, there's a huge question of where they will go inside Syria. Um, Syria remains a divided country with embattled pockets throughout this region. Um, and, and really getting, getting humanitarian assistance to them. Uh, is turning out to be virtually impossible because of the number of sanctions against Syria and because of the, the burdens that all these countries, uh, neighboring countries and countries like the United States, we have incredible list of sanctions against Syria. So the idea of being an aid group that's just going to move supplies into there and be able to set up shop and help these people, that's just not going to happen. Um, so we really do need uh, a, a as, as Syria has needed all along a political solution to this conflict that allows the movement of aid, that allows people to return to their home. Uh, and and we, we saw the Trump administration begin to wake up to this yesterday. I, I fear that uh, we just, it, it could be too little too late, but, but there needs to be that kind of intervention at this point. 
You guys can read uh, what Mindy Belts is, Bells is writing at World Magazine. Uh, I also highly recommend her book. They say we are infidels if you want to understand stories of real-life Christians refusing to abandon their faith um, who are losing everything else in the region that we are talking about today. Uh, you can also follow her on Twitter at MCBells, B-E-L-Z. Mindy, thank you so much for what you do every day and for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. And thank you, Carmen. We'll be right back. So are you hungry for some good news? Want to hear some good news this morning? There is renewal. There is hope. God is on the move. There are literally kingdom movements happening in places around the world, in people groups that you may have never heard of. And so in order to uh, take us into those movements uh, happening both in North America and in Western Europe. I've got Glenn Sunshine here next. We're going to talk about the book, The Kingdom Unleashed, but more importantly, we're going to talk about how Jesus's first century kingdom values are transforming thousands of cultures and awakening the church around the world today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So we have a free online course uh, available right now. It's called Navigating Grief with Humor. It is uh, a course offered between uh, Faith Radio and the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And it's going to be taught by Professor Melissa Mork. The course is designed for both those who are grieving and those who desire to help those who are grieving. So if you are walking with someone who is grieving, this, uh, this course is for you. If you are in the midst of a season of grief or you're just kind of stuck there even, this is for you as well. So this is a free course um, and you can find out how humor, right? There's like laughter's good for the soul, but how can real humor, real joy uh, help us grieve, help us cope, build resilience, um, find purpose during moments of sorrow. I recall yesterday in my conversation with Linda Mental, you know, part of the conversation about dealing with chronic pain in our lives is that we stop focusing on the chronic pain and we start focusing on some other things. And so humor has a way of um, shaking us loose sometimes, giving us a slightly different perspective, getting us maybe even to uh, laugh at ourselves for a moment um, and change our perspective on things. And so I just really want to encourage you, if you are trying to navigate grief for yourself or with someone else, sign up for the Navigating Grief with Humor course. You can do so at MyFaithRadio.com. I love to garden, but there are times I wish it wasn't so much work. I'll spend an entire afternoon pulling weeds, and then within just a few days, they're all back again. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. You know, gardening has some parallels to managing finances. A healthy garden doesn't just happen. It takes intentional care. You plan ahead, plant in good soil, and harvest before the fruit goes to seed. The same is true of good financial stewardship. And like with weeds, your finances are more likely to thrive and bloom when they're not choked out by things like unnecessary spending and overwhelming debt. So take a minute and think about your financial garden. Does it look the way you want it to? Does it honor God? Does it reflect your calling? 
If your current financial picture doesn't look the way you want it to, maybe it's time to reevaluate. Find some time to talk to a financial professional and weed your garden. When you do, you'll find you can live a more content, confident, and generous life. So I'm just delighted to introduce those of you who do not know Glenn Sunshine um, to this ray of hope um, who has been shining the light of Christ into the lives of many of us for a long time through his work at uh, Breakpoint at the Colson Center. Um, I am familiar with Glenn's work. He doesn't know me, but I know him. And we're talking today about the Kingdom Unleashed. It's a brand new book. Um, the subhead is how Jesus's first century kingdom values are transforming thousands of cultures and awakening his church. Really, I will tell you, it is the story of what God is doing through his people around the world, and it is designed to give you hope. Glenn Sunshine, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you for having me. So um, it's really a delight to have you here. Um, this book feels like it's simply about the way Christianity is uh, not dead even though some of us live in places and spaces where it feels like Christianity is in decline, that is actually not the truth. So share with us the good news of what, uh, of what you see God doing, what you've experienced God doing around the world. Right now, I, I'm a church historian, and right now what I can tell you is that Christianity is growing faster than it ever has in history. Um, this, what's happening right now dwarfs anything that's happened in the past. Uh, we are seeing literally hundreds of thousands of churches being founded across Africa, across India, Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world. Uh, we all, I hope, know what's going on in China. Even with the crackdown that's going on there, it, all indications are that Christianity is just exploding. Uh, the The pace is absolutely staggering. Now, that's the good news. The other side of it is we're, all of this is happening in what we used to call the developing world. The term today is the global south, um, Latin America, Africa, um, a lot of Asia, and so on. Uh, it's not happening as much here or in Europe, and the book actually explores why that's the case. Okay, and let me go ahead and tell people that there's a website that they can go to to not only connect with the book, but um, uh, but to contact you guys as well. And so it's Kingdom Unleashed. Dot .org that's where we're going to send you for more information about the book today and more information uh about Glenn and his co-author uh Jerry Truesdale cuz we we don't want to miss that um that this is a collaborative project. You guys interviewed um these these kingdom movement catalysts. I mean that's the way I'll describe them. Yes, leading movement catalysts around the world. And you learned some things about um, the way this seems to happen. So share with us, you, you might just choose, a, you're a really good storyteller, so you might just choose to tell us a story. Okay, well, let's start with the principle that is really at work here, that everything's done by the Holy Spirit, it's done by prayer, and it's done by following Jesus's instructions on how to make disciples. So what happens is people will go out, and the first goal is to find a person of peace. This is someone who will welcome you into the community. And sometimes these are really improbable people. One of my favorite stories involved a, uh, a movement leader who went into a village with his translator. He was greeted there. Guy brought him home, fed him dinner, 
got up the next morning, asked them how they were, said they were great, told them to stay with them, fed them dinner the following night, got up the next morning, how are you, we're doing great. He says, okay, come with me. He takes them to the village elders, and he says to them, you all know who I am. I, was, I have been the witch doctor in this village for 40 years. The spirits came to me and told, showed me these two men and said they were coming to the village. You need to kill them. I brought them into my home and I fed them the most potent poisons I have for two nights in a row, and they are completely unaffected by them. I don't know who their God is, but whoever it is, he's more powerful than ours. We need to listen to them. Wow. This is, you know, as I said, the, the, the finding the person who will introduce you, enter into the, you know, into the village community, into the social networks, this is what you're looking for. This is kind of an extreme example. Usually there are people who are more friendly than this, but you can't predict who it is that God has put in place for you to connect with, to introduce you into these new communities. Well, and Glenn, I think that sometimes that is, um, that, that's part of our problem uh, in the global north, and that is, you know, we're looking for the key kid. We're looking for the person who's already the influencer. We want to leverage the platform. Like, we have all of these worldly strategies, and and what we need instead is a Holy Spirit motivation and a real kingdom desire. The word kingdom is really essential to this conversation, kingdom with a big K. Let's talk about that word. Okay. In Greek, the word kingdom can refer to a territory, but what it really refers to is simply the exercise of royal authority. So, for example, a Roman soldier who is past Hadrian's Wall up in modern Scotland, it's not Roman territory, but if he is there on Caesar's business, the kingdom is there. He's, he carries the kingdom inside him. It's this issue of recognizing royal authority and obeying it. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, what we really mean is recognizing God's authority in all areas of life over everything and obeying it in all areas. So this issue of obedience, number one, but number two, recognizing the extent that God's kingdom extends. You know, it's not just about personal salvation. It's not just about personal morality. It's about all of life. You know, when we say Jesus is Lord of all, we mean it. He is Lord of absolutely everything. There's nothing that's not included in all. So what does it mean to bring Jesus' rule into every situation you face? That's what kingdom living is about. Well, and that's such a different way of understanding the Great Commission. I, I, I'm not sure that, you know, as I grew up in the church and as I even, you know, have served the church along the way— I'm not sure that until fairly recently, I really understood that that the commission that Christ is giving is like a commission that a military superior gives to those under his command, under his authority. There is a commission here of uh, of the kingdom ambassadors to actually get out there and uh, and and plant the principles of the kingdom and share the good news of the king with the world. Like this is what we're in the world to do. Absolutely. And it's, it's more than just that. It actually goes all the way back to Genesis. Um, this is what human beings were created to do. The entire point of the image of God um, in the ancient Near East, that meant if you said you were the image of a God, it meant that you were that God's steward, its regent, his representative on earth. So when it says, let, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over the world, they're really, it, it's, uh, it's parallelism. They're repeating the same idea. We were created 
to act as God's stewards, his regents, to develop the world under his authority. The earth is the Lord's, it's not ours. And the problem came with sin, what sin did is it not only broke our relationship with God, but it created massive problems for us in terms of our relationships with other people, in terms of how we interact with the environment, all of these kinds of things. And what Jesus comes to do is undo the effects of the fall. That involves restoring our relationship with God, of course, it involves restoring our relationship with others, but it also involves restoring the original commission that God gave us as his regents in the world. So when we're talking about the kingdom, and, and you know, advancing the kingdom here, the Holy Spirit advancing the kingdom through us, this is restoring what we were made to do in the first place. It's really I, I a very, that. very big concept. It's very big. It's very powerful. It's very compelling. We want to talk more about it, but we have to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask Glenn Sunshine to share with us, uh, you know, like how many of these movements are going on right now around the world? Where are they happening? And what are the elements of them that they have in common? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Glenn Sunshine, we are talking about the very inspiring and compelling book, The Kingdom Unleashed. Uh, it is it is a book about how Jesus' first century kingdom values are transforming thousands of cultures and awakening his church around the world today. You can find out more about it at thekingdomunleashed.org. Um, Glenn, let's, uh, let's talk about how many of these movements there are, where they're happening, and what they have in common. Okay, well, let's start off with a definition of what we mean by a movement. A movement is a, a situation where you've got disciples who make disciples who make disciples, churches that plant churches that plant churches, where the gospel really goes viral. And the statistics they use, there are a couple of different ways of measuring them, but one of them is 100 churches or 1,000 baptisms in the space of a year or two. I mean, so that's the pace at which we're talking about here. And right now we are tracking somewhere in the vicinity of 1,000 movements around the world. The overwhelming majority of these are, again, in what we used to call the developing world. We've got a lot in Latin America, in Africa, uh, in Asia, um, Indonesia, that area, and most likely in China as well, although statistics are kind of hard to come by there. The fastest-growing church right now in the world is in Iran, uh, which is going to be a shock to a lot of people, I suspect. And it's growing exactly on these kinds of movement principles that we're, that we're talking about here. Um, essentially, you know, I mean, there are a lot of different elements of this, but one of the critical ones is prayer. Nothing happens in these movements without long, abundant, focused prayer. Uh, according to Barna, the average American prays something like four to six minutes a day, average American Christian. And that includes saying grace at meals and things like that. And that just won't cut it. The fact of the matter is we really don't believe in prayer because if we did, we'd do it more. Uh, overseas, in these the places where we're seeing movements, there are people who are you know, fasting regularly at least once a week, frequently for much longer periods of time. Uh, they're spending hours and hours and hours in prayer uh, individually and in community. So this incredible focus on prayer and reliance on the Holy Spirit is really the foundation for everything. Beyond that, they don't have the same kind of distinction between 
uh, pastors and lay people as we do in a lot of ways. Everybody in these churches understands how to plant churches and, and thinks of themselves as a potential church planter. So you've got ordinary people equipped to do the ministry rather than relying on professionals to do it. You know, when we think of evangelism here, we typically think of, I need to invite somebody to church so that the pastor can win them. Over there, they don't think that way. They think, you know, I need to find the person of peace, I need to find that person's social network, and I need to present the gospel to the whole lot of them, um, which they do using a, typically using a system called a discovery Bible study. They actually take them through a rather lengthy series of scriptures, depending on what community they're from, uh, that's carefully chosen for their community, um, in teaching them, first of all, about creation, about the fall, um, our need for redemption, what Jesus does for us, and so on. Um, and they do this over time through the whole thing, emphasizing ideas like, you know, if this is God's word, what, how would this affect you if you put it in, into practice in your life? So they're discipling them right from the start into the idea of obeying Scripture and also asking the question, who needs to hear about this? So you're discipling them also into sharing right away, even before they become believers. It's, a, it's an extraordinary thing. It inverts almost everything that we think of about how to make disciples and build the church. But it is based very, very much on Jesus' own instructions and Jesus' model. Again, um, you can find information at kingdomunleashed.org. Um, Glenn, we probably have time to tell one more story. Um, I, would, I would simply love for you to invite our listeners uh, to become students of brothers and sisters around the world who are part of uh, these kingdom movements. Yes, well, it turns out that some of them are actually coming over here and working with churches, or churches are going to see, um, American churches are sending people to see what's going on overseas. So there are opportunities to do this, and if you go to the website, we can help plug you in with some of those. But as an example of the power of this, uh, there's one ministry that I'm very familiar with in Africa that is in a predominantly Muslim country. And the group was meeting for prayer and trying to set out their strategy of where they were going next. They had their, their groups all assigned. When a local warlord, Muslim warlord, showed up with a bunch of his guys, and they stood at the edge of the compound where they were meeting, and they actually waited very politely while the group was praying. And when they were done, they came in and they said, okay, who's the leader here? And the person who was the leader identified himself because he said, if anybody's going to be shot, it really ought to be me. And the warlord said to him, I need you to send your storytellers. That's what they call the, uh, the evangelists. I need you to send your storytellers to our village. And the leader of the ministry said, well, okay, we can probably do this, but can I ask you why? And he said, well, we have seen villages that have been fighting with each other for generations, planting crops together peacefully. We have seen families in other villages reconciled. We have seen all of these things. Whatever you're telling these people, we need to hear it. And he said, well, you know, we really, we, we'll get to you as soon as we can. We really don't have any people we can send now. The guy <laughs> got down on his knees and said, please, we need you. Mm. Now, so they rearranged things and they sent someone there. Now, this particular ministry, this was the first time it happened. They stopped counting after they had the same kind of encounter 35 times. Mm. 
that is the power of transformation of the gospel at work. And frankly, when you look at the divisions in our country, that's what we need right now, too. Yeah, there's no question about it. I just, Glenn, it's so inspiring. It's so encouraging. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. I'm just going to send people directly to the website, kingdomunleashed.org. You can find the book. You can find Glenn. You can get connected to the ministries that he's talking about, or the movements, excuse me, the movements he's talking about around the world. Um, Thank you so much for joining us this morning and for what you're doing every day. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. All right, wasn't that encouraging, inspiring, um, and gosh, doesn't that just make you want to pray? It makes me want to pray. It makes me want to devote concerted time to prayer and to pleading before the Lord that his kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not not just at the culmination of all things when Christ returns, because glory, glory, glory to that day, um, but Thy kingdom come, thy will be done right now. Every square inch, every every place where you and I have influence, every conversation, every broken relationship restored, um, every, every neighbor reconciled. Uh, don't you want that? I want that. I want that. I desperately want that. Um, the, the warring is fatiguing in our families, in our communities, in our churches, in our country, in the world. Um, God has an answer to all of it. His kingdom come, his will be done. Let you and I be ambassadors of that message of that king and that kingdom today. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back for another hour. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.